Thank you, Becca. Well, we come to that time of the year when I'm sure, like me, you've been reading all sorts of stories about uh, events that are going on around the place. I read a story last week of uh, a young uh, primary school that decided to lay on the nativity play. And uh, the, uh, the young lad who wanted to play the role of Joseph was told he couldn't play the role of Joseph. He had to play the role of the innkeeper. So wanting to get his own back, he decided to rewrite the nativity story without telling anyone. So when Joseph and Mary knocked on the door of the inn, he, as the innkeeper, threw wide open the door and declared, come on in, we've got plenty of room. <laughs> the young lad playing Joseph then had to say, you must be joking, no wife of mine is going to stay in a dump like this, we'll go into the stable. <laughs> Considering they literally changed the world more than any other publication, the Gospels are remarkably short in length. And if we're honest, there are lots of things we would love to know more about, but upon which we can only speculate. And I have to say, we had a bit of that at the nine o'clock service this morning. But included in it are the few facts that we know about Jesus' dad, Joseph. The 13 New Testament letters written by Paul make no reference to him at all. Neither does the Gospel of Mark, the first of the four Gospels. Many fanciful stories have been written about him since then. But the only facts about his life which we can be certain about are those that are recorded in the New Testament, which we're going to look at today as we consider why this story is important, why Joseph is an important part of the Advent and Christmas story, and what we can learn from him. What little we do know about comes from Matthew and Luke's Gospels. We're told he's a descendant of David, the greatest king of Israel, and Joseph's name in Hebrew means, may God add children which he certainly did. We know from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, that after Jesus was born and adopted by Joseph, he and Mary went on to have four sons, James, the church leader, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, as well as several daughters. And there's no suggestion that Mary had remarried after Joseph had died, so we can safely assume that they were all his and that God had indeed added children. Earlier in Matthew chapter 1, he discovers that Mary's going to have a baby, that isn't his, but then he has a dream telling him not to get overly fussed about it. In Luke chapter 2, he takes the heavily pregnant Mary to Bethlehem from Nazareth to the, to the census, uh, and then later in Matthew chapter 2, he has three more dreams, which we're going to look at in a bit more detail in a minute. The first to take the family to Egypt, the second to bring them back to Israel, and the third to divert on the journey back to Nazareth. Finally, later in Luke chapter 2, he and Mary take Jesus to be consecrated in Jerusalem. There's then one final episode, the story in Luke's Gospel, where having lost Jesus on their, one of their regular visits to Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph find him teaching at the temple at the age of 12. We're told that everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers, but when his parents saw him, they were not just astonished, they were, not unsurprisingly, rather irritated. Mary says to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. To which Jesus replies, why are you searching for me? Surely you knew that I had to be in my father's house. Now Joseph might have been a bit offended by that comment. But there's no record of him saying anything to Jesus or indeed to Mary. And that incident is the last we hear of Joseph's involvement with Jesus. Although we can assume that he taught the young Jesus his craft 
as a carpenter, which probably included building and repairing in stone and maybe even metal as well as wood. It's generally agreed, though, that Josh Joseph had died before Jesus began his ministry. We know nothing of the circumstances surrounding his death, but it seems clear that Joseph never lived to see the purpose for which Jesus had been born. So that all said, let's hear the beginning of the story by listening in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, which Karen's going to come and share with us. Joseph accepts Jesus as his son. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in, his, in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Karen. Now, as I mentioned, Mark's gospel doesn't mention Joseph at all, and John's gospel only mentions him in passing. In fact, he's only named in 22 verses in Matthew and Luke. And in one sense, we might ask the question, why do the Gospels mention him at all? But I think it's clear from the very start that Jesus needs a human father to protect him from those determined to destroy him. And leaving aside those threats, if Mary had been abandoned after becoming pregnant under spurious circumstances, both her and Jesus' prospects would have been tenuous if not outright dangerous. And to better understand this, we need to consider the customs of betrothal and marriage in first century Nazareth. Betrothals began after the groom or his parents had negotiated what was called a bride price with her parents, at least some of which was usually paid before the betrothal was announced. Sometimes very young children were betrothed in arrangements made by their parents, and they would have had to wait a long time until they reached the appropriate age to marry. But as Joseph was probably several, if not actually many years older than the young teenager Mary, their betrothal was probably due to last for about a year. Announced at a formal ceremony, but usually in the bride's home with witnesses and an exchange of promises, the couple would neither live together nor consummate their marriage. Nevertheless, in our terms, they are effectively as good as married. In verse 19 of our reading, Joseph is referred to as the husband of Mary. And to break off the betrothal would be the equivalent of a divorce. And interestingly, if Joseph had died during this period, Mary would have been considered to be a widow. Before the wedding, the groom would construct an extension to his family home, and then on the great day, go with his friends to fetch his bride. 
the bridesmaids would wait to greet the happy couple with their lamps alight, symbolism that you may remember Jesus refers to later in his ministry. And the celebrations could easily last for a week. Although arranged marriages were rarely based on love, on the face of it, we can assume that Joseph has landed himself a pretty lovely fiancé. Young, with a good heart, Mary seems to be a fine catch, a safe bet, and based on what follows, Joseph is clearly very fond of her. But not long after the engagement party, Mary drops a bombshell. And in first century Palestine, this was a serious bombshell. Mary, marrying an already pregnant Mary would inevitably have made Joseph the object of ridicule. He hadn't had sex with her, but he knew that others would soon know about the pregnancy and then think that either he and Mary had indeed sinned by having sex before they were fully married, or that Mary had been unfaithful with somebody else, slept with somebody else. As her husband, Joseph was well within his rights to expose the pregnancy publicly, decry his involvement, and publicly present Mary with a certificate of divorce, all designed to cause her great shame and embarrassment. Actually, under Jewish law in Deuteronomy, he could have had Mary stoned to death. Alternatively, it wasn't unknown for a man to marry a woman who was expecting another man's child. So perhaps he could have gone ahead with the marriage plans. But we're told, as a just and righteous man, Joseph isn't interested in any of those options. He simply decides to divorce Mary quietly. Even so, she would have been left in a very precarious position with a broken engagement and an illegitimate child on the way, her shamed family could well have forced her to leave the family home, leaving her with few options, one of which would have been to support herself as a prostitute, maybe in a city like Jerusalem. But then God steps in, and an angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, telling him not to be afraid to take Mary home as his wife. Because, he says, the angel says, what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And as if to anticipate the question as to why is all this happening to me, the angel tells him that Mary will give birth to a son and that he, Joseph, is to name the son Jesus because he is told he will save his people from their sins. Now, whilst presumably Joseph is not an Old Testament scholar, he probably knew something about the prophecies written hundreds of years earlier in the Old Testament by people like Isaiah. That one day God would wipe mankind's slate clean, that he would send a Messiah who would make all things right and bring salvation to the earth. Now whether Joseph actually put two and two together, we don't know. But we do know from our reading that he leaps into action. Now that said, Studying this, I'd never preached on Joseph before, so it's quite interesting to trying to pull all this together. And I have to say that the sequence and the timescales of what uh, happened in the following events isn't that clear. On the one hand, we're told that when Joseph wakes up, he did what the angel commanded, takes Mary home as his wife. But we also know that in the midst of this, from Luke's gospel, that Mary has been told that she is going to have a baby, but also that Elizabeth, her cousin, is also going to have a baby, John the Baptist, as he turns out to be. 
And we're told that Mary immediately goes to see her cousin Elizabeth. And indeed that she spends three months with her. Now Joseph had presumably remained in Nazareth after her abrupt departure. But when Mary returns, she's obviously going to be at least three months pregnant. And her condition would be about to become pretty obvious for everybody to see. Which is why some commentators suggest that Joseph's dream took place while she was away in, uh, in, in, with Mary in order to prepare Joseph for her return and to ensure that he was ready for a quick getaway. Remembering that we're told by the time they left for Bethlehem, she was great with child, the census which takes them there was pretty timely indeed, allowing them to escape from prying eyes. As an aside, I also saw another little comment as we run up to Christmas of uh, the story of Joseph turning to Mary at this point and saying, I've just heard there's a camel uh, train strike on. I think we're going to have to go by donkey. <laughs> Mary, of course, has the baby. And as eight days old, Jesus is circumcised. And then 40 days after the birth, Joseph and Mary go to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer up sacrifice according to the ancient law. And it's there that Simeon and Anna prophesy over Jesus and Joseph and Mary receive a blessing from Simeon. Then we're told they return to Nazareth in Galilee. Now then sometime later, some argue as long as two years later, the wise men pay a visit. And Joseph has another dream that changes the trajectory of their lives. He's told to escape to Egypt in order to flee the wrath of the paranoid King Herod. And he wakes up in the middle of the night and heads off. It's just in time, as Herod, realizing that he's been outwitted by the wise men, orders the death of all boys up to and including two years old who'd been born in Bethlehem or the surrounding area. The family, having escaped, remain in Egypt until Joseph, we're told, then has a third dream in which he learns that Herod has died and it's now safe to return. But on the move again, he hears that Archelaus was now ruling in Judea. Herod's three sons had inherited, taken the, uh, the parts of Herod's kingdom into three bits. Philip had the Transjordan, Herod Antipas had Galilee, and Archelaus took Judea. Yet another violent ruler, Archelaus began his reign by slaughtering, we're told, 3,000 influential people. And not surprising, Joseph Lee, not surprisingly, Joseph is pretty fearful. Receiving yet another warning in yet another dream, he takes the family back to Nazareth in Galilee, away from Archelaus area, rather than Bethlehem, which is in Judea. And from there, of course, Jesus will subsequently start his ministry. So that's the story. What do we learn from all of that? Well, first I would suggest that God chose Joseph out of all the potential fathers in Israel to mentor Jesus as he was growing up because he was a simple, honest man of integrity. God fearing he was quick to answer the call. His movements as a result of the dreams may seem somewhat irrational to us today, but divine direction in dreams was a common form of decision-making. You may remember another Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers and was known especially for his dreams which, amongst other things, predict, predicted famine in the land of Egypt. 
and also other visits by angels, like the angel of the Lord that had met Joshua and given him some orders on how to capture <laughs> in the first battle of, the, uh, of, of securing the promised land, um, a, a most ridiculous battle plan uh, to secure that first, uh, uh, first win. But Joshua does what he's told, does what he's commanded, and of course, there's a great victory. But I'm not sure that anyone else in Scripture has as many dreams or receives as many commands as are recorded for Joseph, who not only keeps Jesus safe, but in doing so is central to fulfilling God's plan laid out centuries before in the Old Testament. The strength of what we believe is measured by how much we're prepared to suffer for those beliefs. And Joseph was clearly a man with strong beliefs. And he was quite prepared to do what is right, despite the turmoil that would result. Even in the face of possible slander by his neighbors, he didn't compromise on his integrity, but acted with honor and compassion towards Mary, even though he must have thought that she had betrayed him. Our world today is driven by emotions, with half the world wandering around, waiting to be offended by the other half. As last week's headlines that Simon referred to from a palace reception sadly showed yet again. But feelings aren't accurate measures of the rightness or the wrongness of an action. Joseph must have been hurt by what he thought Mary had done with someone else, but he was not hurtful in his response to her. His love for Mary and his complete self-sacrifice, leaving everything behind and fleeing to Egypt to save the infant Jesus, are all indicative that he could be trusted to do what needed to be done. He may not have been some great intellectual thinker or theologian, but that and social position are of very little importance in God's eyes, as they weren't in the eyes of Jesus and throughout his ministry. God chose, God chose Joseph for his ordinariness, just as he chooses ordinary people like you and like me today. Joseph never made the headlines, nor did God want him to. He wasn't a celebrity with a personality trying to grab those headlines, but a man of deep character whose kindness, generosity, and humble nature shaped the life of God's incarnate son. Who knows? When Jesus refers to God as his daddy, that may well have come from the way that Joseph had treated him and brought him up. Now, just like Joshua and many others in the Bible, Joseph obeyed the Lord without question, putting his faith into action. He never tried to argue with God, but patiently obeyed. He obeyed in marrying, in marrying Mary, obeyed in naming the baby Jesus, obeyed in escaping to Egypt, and then obeyed in coming back again and then diverting to Nazareth. I would offer that God honors integrity, character, and obedience. True discipleship is about listening to what he has to say and then obeying, doing what he tells us to do when he tells us to do it. Responding to his guidance leads to more guidance. And doing the right thing in little ways means we're often then entrusted with greater things. And sometimes that makes the difference between life and death. If he hadn't listened and acted in marrying Mary, Jesus would have been the child of a single homeless mother and the vulnerable target of a maniac king. 
had he hung around Bethlehem, wondering whether he'd heard right, Herod's men would have come and killed the whole family. When Gabriel appeared to Mary in Luke chapter 1 and announced that although a virgin she was going to have Jesus, he finished by telling her, nothing is impossible with God. Joseph believed that incredible story, that his adopted son, Jesus, would save his people from their sins. And he played a key part in that salvation, did his bit to ensure that it would happen. I think it was Leo Tolstoy who said, patience is waiting, not passively, that's laziness, but to keep going when the going gets tough and when life is hard and slow. The two most powerful worries, he says, are patience and time. And Joseph displayed both. So we too believe in this incredible story that we talk about over this season of Advent and Christmas. In the way that Joseph believed it and acted upon it, then let's make sure that we play our part in it as well by sharing the story. Sharing this incredible story over this Advent time, over Christmas and beyond. Amen.